Tell me another way people say mother. What about mommy? Okay. Okay. Oh, mommy. Right. Not, not mommy. Y'all think, really, that y'all can take all these words that's the same <laughs> and just say them different because you want to? <laughs> Nanny? Nana? <laughs> Nani? Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 55 of Stack, the Stack Podcast. We got double fives here. Uh, Do you think uh, Steve Harvey watches anime? I can kind of imagine it, to be honest. I'm going to say no. <laughs> I'm just going to flat out say no to that one. Uh, maybe I was a bit more optimistic. Anime! About Steve Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> Shinji, can... get in the robot. <laughs> one can hope, though. He's like, can you imagine? He's like, Shinji, get in the robot. It's up there. It's up there. Good answer. Good answer. Kill! <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Kill! Kill! Uh, yep, that's right, everyone. We're gonna we're gonna be weaving out a bit on this episode. Uh, we're gonna be talking about some anime, right? But we made a very specific rule. So, because we already talked all about Ghibli movies and everything like that, like that's the go-to studio when you're. A, a person from the West, and you think about anime. So we're we're gonna constrict ourselves a bit. We're gonna we're gonna take out any film from Studio Ghibli, and we're gonna go just the best, most quintessential movies you can watch. That's non Ghibli that are Japanese and animated. So, fellas, was this a hard thing to do? Was this a hard thing to pull off? Because Ghibli, they, they do take up a a a big portion of some of the best of the best. Chris, how was what how was your process of putting together the stack? It was actually a hell of a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um, obviously, compared to you guys, I actually don't have as big of a catalog to pull from because most of my experience with anime comes in like the TV format. You know, Dragon Ball, Naruto, like I know all that shit. Right. Um, and obviously, Studio Ghibli films and, you know, the one or other like um, films just like that I just randomly came across because maybe a friend recommended it. Like your name, for example, which was stacked previously, so I can't use that fuck. Yeah. But um, <laughs> that's yeah. There's an example of like my like kind of like my catalog of films to pull from is relatively limited. Um, but I actually like eventually after making like a pretty decent shortlist, I've managed to cut it down and find some ones that I feel like I am like either really want to talk about or like don't imagine talking about anywhere else. So. I, I think I got some a solid conversation ahead of us, so this will be fun. Hell yeah. What about you, Brandon? No. Okay. Uh, I didn't so... have difficult. No, I didn't have difficulty finding stuff. No, I, I, I don't want to I... talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, I just thought, you know, it would be more difficult um, than it was. I think because the past three years has kind of been like a opening of my eyes to Eastern animation. That I've able, I've been able to watch enough good because there. I don't think I've watched like a particularly like bad anime movie that's not Ghibli or Ghibli. Um, mm. I think the only one that I was like kind of mixed on that I've seen was uh, Shinkai's Weathering with You, which we might talk about, but I don't know. Okay, well, this uh, 
this year quarantine this past this past year has kind of made me dive into a deep dark and despaired pit of anime i'm gonna be honest uh so i've watched some fucking phenomenal amazing stuff that isn't from studio ghibli but i have i have seen some turds and i i've showed brandon oh that, that but that's not turds. that's not it's not a movie it's on letterbox it's on letterbox it's, you're gonna choose it and it's it's i'm not gonna choose it that movie's one of the worst <laughs> things i've seen in my life that ova no and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk i'm not even gonna mention the name of what we're talking about because i don't i just don't want people to look that up all right embarrassment uh, yeah i'm pretty embarrassed I've, I've seen it twice uh anyways yeah it was pretty easy for me uh got some good picks uh Chris, I know you haven't seen any of my picks, so I'm 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 excited to introduce you to some really good films. Brandon, you've seen two of them, and yeah, it's going to be a good time. I think we're going to have a good time weaving out here on Stacked. But of course, before we get to our picks, let's run down the rules of the show. So, once a week we set a topic or theme and go our separate ways to construct our own three-film stack. Then after a week, we come back here on the podcast and share our own stacks one film at a time. Then at the end of the show, we'll mix and match our nine films, make the ultimate decision what quintessential three-film stack we are checking out of this hypothetical video store. Boom. I haven't nailed it that well in a long-ass time. That was that felt good. Brandon, guess what? Yes. You're up first, bud. What's your first anime well, movie? Well, we can't pick a Hayao Miyazaki, or we can't pick a Studio Ghibli film, but we can't pick Hayao Miyazaki before Ghibli. Oh. And I'm going with Lupin the Third, The Castle of Cagliostro. Okay, talk about it. Alright, so I had never seen a Lupin animate anything before seeing this. But I remember being like, oh, I need to check out all of Hayao Miyazaki's work. They're all on HBO Max now with the HBO Max launch. And also, it's like, this was just on Netflix. And it's like, why is this movie of all movies on Netflix? And it's just like one of your basic adventure spy movies where you have these colorful, fun characters running around in a like cartoon sound effects kind of way. But it it's so sophisticated and mature for a director who's like, or, or for an, a medium that really at the time wasn't all that mature. Like you had your your odd pearls here and there, like Wizards and Heavy Metal, which were definitely more mature animated features. But for the most part, you look at 70s and early 80s animated films and like you're talking about the dark era of Disney and stuff like that. But this is like a great anime, a great adventure, super fun. I know Ethan's not as big of a fan as I am of this one. He mm. he might like a, a certain other one that might get mentioned. Uh, but <laughs> it's it's such a good movie, man. I I think this movie. Uh, it, I think it's okay. Okay, so I've seen some Loop in the Third anime. Um, seen some of the other films, and when compared to those ones, this one sort of just. I mean, it's it's one of the best animated ones because it's Miyazaki, you know, like the detail in the backgrounds and stuff like that. And the soundtrack to this one is one of the best. But in terms of its story, it's just like a a damsel in distress story, you know, uh, where there's like a castle and a baron. And you can sort of see Miyazaki's sort of like uh, European influence go into this film, you know. But to me, I just didn't find it all that 
narratively interesting, but like aesthetically, I I did like it a lot. But yeah, that's that's how I feel about it. Chris, have you ever seen any of Loop in the Third? Do you even know what it's about? I don't even know what the hell Loop in the Third is. So Loop in the Third is it's like it's He's based a off a true it's based off like a true person but it's like it's been manipulated where he's like he's a master thief and it's sort of like it's sort of like a mix of indiana jones and james bond wouldn't you say brandon but japanese yes but japanese and like heists and it's it's so cool where they mix like adventures for relics pulling off heists and like spy thriller stuff and it's in super- one movie in one in multiple movies you know well yeah but like i'm talking in in this movie (laughs) right (laughs) but like they have like all the archetypes you have like the cop the thief you have like a samurai figure you've got like a military person you've got like a sidekick like all of the like the character archetypes are there but they're like played upon in a way that it's like it's not taking itself too seriously yeah to the point where it's kind of commenting on it in a way Right, but I agree that the story is a little flat, but it's a very enjoyable, easy to follow film. Good introduction for anybody looking for it. Definitely. Oh yeah, definitely. So this is like a is this like a is Lupin the Third like a film like franchise that isn't just animated? Like it's all over. It's different mediums, or is I don't know. Like is is it just animated films, or how how does this like character? Or well, it's it's it, work? it is just like it was a. I think it was originally a, it was originally a manga. A manga. Yeah, maybe I don't know, but yeah, it, it was, was originally a, a manga, and then it was an anime that yeah. started out in the seventies, and then they've just made a shitload of movies. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Pokemon movies, you know, where like at at the end of every couple of seasons they do a movie, you know, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, but the the but movies the, never you really stand on their own. Do with, yeah, they stand on their own. I I don't think there's anything that's really that really like, uh is connected between parts. Like, I feel like you can just watch any episode of loop in the third and like, you can be engaged by the stories, you know, it's, 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 it's like okay. episodic like that, you know, but yeah, it's, it's a fun series and it's pretty iconic. And I suggest you all check it out. And I'd say this is a good one. First one to start with, but there are better ones. Uh, Chris, do you want to go into your first anime film? Sure. Uh, okay. I'm going to dive into a kind of a, probably the one that you all saw coming uh oh yeah yeah yep. uh Katsuhiro Otomo's 1988 1988 Akira um okay yeah so you know I had seen this movie many many years ago um but really fell in love with it again when I got to see actually a digital uh restoration of this oh. film in theaters with the Dolly sound which was really insane yeah um so this is a very difficult film to this described because it is incredibly like complex and there's so much like so much going on all at once that it's like kind of difficult to nail down but as letterbox describes it it is about a secret military project that endangers neo tokyo when it turns a biker gang member into a rampaging psychic psychopath that only two teenagers and a group of psychics can stop but obviously this film is a lot more than just that Right. Um, when you bite into this film, Akira can probably be better described as like, honestly, a, an, like an expression of the anxieties and traumas faced by Japan as a result of like the socio-cultural, political and economic disarray following their defeat 
um, by America through the atomic bombs in World War II. Um, Akira, like, really depicts, like, the suffering faced by the Japanese people through isolationism and rapid industrial, yeah, rapid industrialization. Um, and it's made all the more complex by all these ongoing conflicts throughout the film between everything from material, materialist, like, capitalism, militarized governments, there's, like, a whole religious zealot arc you could go into. Um, and they're all, like, clamoring for, like, this, uh, vacancy at the crest of power in in this neo neo tokyo and um yeah it's it's the most like it's all it's almost kind of overwhelming but it's all very much anchored by this very very like vivid story about um what is really this the main story for this like yes you have the whole you have your central characters and you have my favorite name to scream ever tetsuo (laughs) but tetsuo um but it's all really anchored by this kind of externalized expression of the pain of japan and um it really conceptualizes this idea that like grasping towards like these kind of unobtainable systems of power is what compromises us from being human and it's all very much done quite hyperbolically once the film comes to an end and I won't spoil it in case anyone is intends to watch it because it's a very violent and very grotesque uh, way to go, shall I say. Yeah. Um, I articulate I art- articulate the way I feel about this movie a lot better when um, in my writing. I wrote a I wrote a pretty nice letterbox review about this. So if you everyone anyone wants to check that out. But beyond that, like, you know, beautiful animation, especially groundbreaking for 1988. Um, and has very much stood the test of time. If you like listening to lo-fi music, this movie feels like lo-fi <laughs> in visual form. Yeah. Um, much like any pre-2000s anime, I feel like. Um, but yeah, can't recommend it enough. It's my second favorite anime film ever made. Um, and I think it's probably, like, in terms oh. of quality, like, one of the, like, top top of the line you could ever get. Oh, um, yeah. Ethan, I know you very, very much like this movie. Brandon, I think you might like this movie just as much, if not more, than me. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, you know, Akira is like a. Uh, it's it when I because I, I saw it late. You know, I, I remember hearing about Akira for the longest time, and then in 2019, when the movie takes place, I decided to like actually like take a watch of it, and I was like, at first, I didn't really like it, the movie. Like when it started, I was like, it's good and all, but like the stories are like all over the place, but like there's something that the director does with the stories and themes that like pulls it all together. And there's lots of things about existentialism, about despair. They're tackling science fiction concepts, but also like real life, like struggles of Japan in the, the 1980s, as well as today, post-war stuff, obviously. So I think it's a film that does a lot of heavy lifting in its short amount of runtime, but also with the animation style that it was given back in the day. It's very impressive what they're able to do for the late 80s in terms of 2D animation cuz I would even say like it does more impressive things with the visuals than early Ghibli did. You know what I mean? I don't think until like the late or the mid 90s that you would see anything like Akira again. But it wasn't um it, it honestly it was in my top 2 animated films for the longest time. It's at my number five right now. There are four other films that I've, four other films, uh, yeah, yeah, four other films that I've seen that kind of top it. 
Um, but it, I think it's a fantastic movie. Like you said, the ending is terrific. It's very hyper violent. The soundtrack is like a dream. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I just, I, I think there's one that does exist at maybe two, no, three, three animated <laughs> films. Triples. <laughs> Triples. <laughs> Triples is best. <laughs> there's probably three animation features that I think do this concept of existentialism a little better that are in my top five, but I, I might get into those later. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think, um, I think I was in the same boat as Brandon where I, I, the first time I watched Akira was, uh, freshman year in my dorm and, um, I watched on a tiny, tiny TV, you know, I was like just out of the TV speakers on my tiny TV and, uh, while I enjoyed it, I don't think I understood why it lived up, like why it's been so praised, but. Then over time, I, as I started to learn more about like uh, post-war Japanese history and stuff like that, I rewatched the film like on my parents' TV, like a big ass screen with surround sound, and I I really gained a further understanding of why this film is so celebrated. Like you said, Chris, like um, there's something uh, I I watched a documentary. It was actually about um, anime and the Matrix. And like how that inspired the Matrix, and they talked about how like, um, sort of Japanese science fiction is is so like why it hits so existentially terrifying is because like that's one of the one cultures on this planet that have faced like a sublime like apocalyptic event, which was the new like the U.S. dropping the nukes on them, and then just further on top of that like the amount of um like uh when the US like sort of like uh to like sort of took over Japan, you know, and started enforcing like capitalist ideals and stuff like that and how rapidly the country became like the west, you know? Um and it was uh, it was a drastic amount of change from the beginning of the war to like 5 years after and what like the landscape of Japan looked like both politically and like in terms of technology and just how things worked and filmmakers um sort of were able to take those fears and make them like visualize them into animations and stuff like that and i think that's done excellently in akira like you said chris like just the the nuclear war metaphors you know of just like this uh infathomable like destruction that that people are just all constantly afraid of the religion part that can go into like christianity like coming in japan that's always been a problem in that country um and then just the 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 production design of the city you know like it's it's a lot to take in you know and i think that sort of relates to that uh that anxiety that they have how quickly their country developed into like something that looks like the west you know and I just I love that scene just pushed even more by this dystopian high city, you know, like uh city life, sort of like a metropolis, you know. Um yeah, this movie's awesome. Uh it's definitely like it's it's one of the best of the best, but there are some ones that hit closer to me, which is why I didn't put it on my my stack, but as that is a phenomenal pick, Chris. Good job. Yeah, that was like that's a must. That I was not surprised that showed up. I'm surprised it wasn't a double stack 
if I'm going to be honest. Honestly, I'm, same. I thought one of you would have picked it, but I guess maybe you guys saw it coming too easy for me. So <laughs> here we are. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. That's a good pick. My first pick is, all right. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ramble a bit again because uh, none of you none of you two have seen this. It's it's gonna be like the '80s episode all over again. It's the same franchise. I talked oh. about the I talked about the fourth film in the series last time. Now I'm talking about the true oh. best one in this series. That is uh, Yurisa Yatsura Two: Beautiful Dreamer. Now this one is directed by Mamoru Oshii. If you don't know his name, he's the director of Ghost in the Shell. Which is a film I think is kind of overrated. Not gonna lie. Yeah, it's I think, good. I think this one is his best work yet, and it's one of the most underrated animated features of all time. Now, this film is about uh, you have the main cast of characters from the show. They're preparing for a school fair, like. I guess this high school has like this big fair where they theme each room like something, which is so cool because in like in Japan, like copyright laws kind of aren't like as intense in the West. So you'll see like Star Wars references and like Godzilla references and stuff like that in this movie as they're like theming rooms after that. But um, they they decided it's it's sort of a dark comedy. They decided they're going to theme their homeroom like um, Nazi Germany. So <laughs> they're all they're all just like Nazis and stuff like that. And I think that sort of just like reinforces like the style of humor that comes to like poking fun at like edginess and stuff like that. Cause it's really like a wholesome series, but it just does weird things like that in terms of like uh political stuff and like other social issues. But um anyways, as the characters start building this fair, they begin to notice that um the day is repeating right so it's gonna it's one of those days it's a groundhog day movie basically and then characters and they start, have to live the nazi thing over and over again they they start to do that but then they start realizing that characters in the town um are disappearing that pe- people in the, their city are disappearing until it's just their friend group and they're they're trying to figure out why this is happening and now they're starting to remember that they're living the same day over and over again so you have this really cool like message about um time and like what and how our reliance on time changes us you know because they start to live like without the concept of time they start to like build a new life without it because they realize the same the day the same day is repeating you know so they can't really keep track of what what's going on in their lives and how to measure themselves like measure their own progress in their life and it just becomes like this beautiful piece about that and then you just like the film is about unraveling this mystery of why the same day is repeating and why people are disappearing and it is one of the most beautifully animated films i've seen i own the like the the restored blu-ray of it and i watched it the um a couple weeks ago on my tv and it just looks phenomenal um the score is fantastic and it just the Yurisei Yatsura like series is one of the funniest animes I've ever watched, and it's also just like the series is very well known for being a major influence in like the city pop and future funk movement. So like again, like if you love lo-fi and stuff like this, like this series is for you. Like I always watch this anime when I'm like when it's late at night and I'm like I want to just pop an edible and just like relax and just vibe out with something like this. I think this film's for you. 
boys, I, I, it's hard for me to like, I don't know how, if you can watch this, like without knowing, I guess I can just like explain the series to you guys before it. I don't know, but I think, I think you would, I think you would enjoy it because Oshi's a very cerebral director. He deals a lot with like, uh, the mind, you know, and like sort of our own existence you see that a lot in ghost in the shell and uh if you've seen angel's egg too like very cerebral films but i do highly recommend anyone out there and you two listening you two listening to me uh check it out because it's really good uh yeah any any input i don't i i I don't know if you have any other point of reference because we kind of talked about this in the 80s yeah I just don't know what to expect from this series if, like, it, it's doing all these, like, delving into sci-fi concepts while also having, like, being, like, a lo-fi slice-of-life anime, you know? Yeah. It's it's kind of weird. I mean, like, would you say that this, like, based on what you were describing, like, would you say this would make a good companion piece to Akira? Because it has that existential touch to it, but that lo-fi kind of vibiness, you know what I mean? It's a lot, it's a lot less serious than Akira, because it is, like, first and foremost, a comedy series, you know, a slice-of-life comedy. Oh, okay you know but um but yeah i feel like i feel like it would be interesting to watch with akira because they are both this came out in 1984 and like if you if you leave out ghibli um i would say like akira and at least in in the like in japan like this series is huge but not it wasn't really picked up in the west just because like a lot of the humor and stuff is so hard to translate you know so there's there's like there's no English dub. They're only for the few movies that were brought over. But um yeah, it's just it's an interesting little piece of uh what Japan's culture was like during the eighties. Uh the main character has a statue actually in Japan, believe it or not. I'm it sounds see. like a, a older version of Nichi Joe, which is a mm. slice of life anime today, which kind of plays upon like I've seen one or two episodes of it um and it's basically plays upon slice of life like it it shows these everyday stories of people but you see view it from like a perspective that is like you ver you ver from the individual's perspective but they view life in such a way that it's kind of surreal yeah in the way it's depicted on screen even though that's not actually what's happening Mm -hmm. sounds similar yeah i think you could certainly depict like read as that I don't know. It's a very interesting film, and I highly suggest you two check it out. Uh, all right, Brandon, let's go into your second pick. All right, my second pick. I think Chris has seen it. Um, Ooh, it's a no uh, way. <laughs> it's a 2016 or 2017 <laughs> film. Uh, a Silent Voice. Double stack. Uh, are you serious? Oh my god. Yes. All right. So good. All right. So a Silent Voice is a film about a a bully uh he bullies this girl a deaf girl who loses her hearing and essentially has a hearing aid and he like teases her as a kid but years later he like realizes the heirs of the way heirs of his ways and you see this very sad and moving piece about what it means to be bullied what it means to be a true friend how somebody copes with being abused by a young age and having that abuser come back to them. And it's a very emotionally complex and moving film, very silent, but the animation is just gorgeous. Like the way it looks, the way it sounds, everything about it just, 
it breathes with humanity in a in a like a world that sometimes lacks that like tendency to do that because today like if you look at the most popular anime you're probably looking at either like mecha anime or like uh what is the the kind that like you know uh, shonen. uh isekai isekai no no isekai and shonen yeah. both but like fantastical stories about young boys going places or going in large mechs or whatever yeah kind of basic i mean sometimes there's more to them but they don't take it small scale like this does and it feels like it's a story that you could depict in live action but the fact that it's depicted in animation the way it is is great plus there's a roller coaster in this movie it's pretty cool (laughs) that is true and they changed it they rmc'd it so it's not around anymore it's a real roller coaster really they made it because of this movie no, 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 no. They, it's a real roller coaster. They changed oh. it into a different one after the film's release because they had plans to like revamp it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So I know nothing about this movie. So Chris, t- tell me more about yeah. Silent Voice. I mean, like, like Brandon said, like, okay. Also, I was surprised. Brandon actually gave this a whole star higher of a rating than I did, um, which actually surprised me. I didn't. Like, I don't know. I watched I it. Know. I think a little bit before you did, Brandon, and it surprised me. Yeah, you did. Me. Um, because my friend back home, Neve, he recommended big, big time weeb guy. Um, he, he <laughs> big time weeb. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Brandon, like you said, it is a wonderful movie that is really more than anything about empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a story about emotional growth and moral redemption, and honestly, just like the power of like compassion in the face of prejudice, like. It sounds like a very gushy movie, which in many ways it is, but it doesn't have that kind of like romanticized feeling that you get when you watch a movie like, say, Your Name or whatever. It doesn't you know, feel like a melodrama. Yeah, it's not that romantic. Like it's it's actually like very sophisticated because it's like it really dives into like the the intricacies and the humanity of our natural capacity for good and evil. Um, and also like the intersectionality between those two concepts is explored really well. Like, can um, people really change? Are they yeah, changing for themselves like, or for other people, or why? Yeah. So it's like it talk. It talks a lot about like our humanity and whether or not we are kind of locked into this our own sense of identity, or if we are, you know, are intersectional beings and able to change and manipulate and alter ourselves and others around us. Um, it's a commentary on depression, anxiety, and suicide. Um, and it resonates very deeply with our, I think, our generation because, unfortunately, um, it is that those topics are quite prominent in modern youth, um, yeah. and it le- it leaves quite an impact. And it, but it has this very tasteful maturity. Um, it's not. It doesn't aestheticize any of it. It makes it very clear that like this is like we 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 got a problem here, and we gotta you know we gotta get on like fixing things talk and about making, it. Yeah, we gotta talk about this. Um, I think like maybe one thing I I'll say that um I'm like about this film that like I would probably dock points up well, dock points but like um like I would suggest for improvement is like I I often had trouble kind of like navigating this film between it being an intimate character portrait about its central character of Shoya I think is the name and uh being an ensemble piece as well because there are a, there's a very colorful cast of characters that um, actually are very helpful and very well-developed and, like, very complementary to the central theme of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, like, I I personally had trouble kind of, like, being like, okay, I'm devoted to this one central character and attentive to them. But then sometimes I'm like, oh, it's an ensemble piece. So I have to, like, both spread out my attention. 
it's kind of like I had trouble, I guess, like kind of balancing those two different ends of things. And I felt like um, maybe, I don't know how, but like some tightening up to kind of like conglomerate them a bit better might have been helpful. I think it's a fair criticism of the movie to say that it does have a lot to do character wise because there there's this main dynamic that you have, this A plot, which is the basically the most of the plot of the movie, but they have two or three subplots with like a, another girl and a boy, a young like a younger boy. Yeah. And both of those subplots, they play into the themes of like the A plot. But if you're like, you're not always like super like, I'm not saying paying attention. No, I I think the director has a hard time balancing it is a good way to put it because they're all very good to have. But like, you're, you're right. Maybe one of them could have been cut from the story there. They fit in the movie. It's not like they're like out of place or anything. Yeah, Although I think, I think the it's ending just is a matter a little... of like tight, tightening up a bit. I don't know yeah. what it is, but like, the... yeah, we're just here to give our notes. I don't know how to fix it. That's your that's your problem, <laughs> filmmaker. <laughs> I'll fix it. Don't worry about it. I'll get on it. I'll reanimate it. No, uh, yeah, I haven't. I don't know. I like outside of what you guys just talked about. I know nothing else about the movie besides the poster. It's on my Netflix watch list. So, uh, or yeah, they have to watch the list. It's not a watch list. It's just a list. But uh. I think I'm going to watch that soon after this recommendation. Yes, yes. I didn't know. I didn't know. So praised. Interesting. All right. So that was your two second films. So I'm going to go into my second film. Back to me. And this is actually a restack. Uh, I was debating back and forth where I choose this film or if I wanted to go with something else. But I just couldn't bring myself to ignoring this film yet again. Dune, uh, and that film—that's not course... an anime. <laughs> uh, that film is, of course, Satoshi Kon. Come on, my sweet boy, one of the greatest Japanese filmmakers of all time. Rest in peace. His first debut feature film, Perfect Blue, baby. I'm bringing it back, and I feel like this is a great time to talk about it again because Brandon seen has it. seen it. You've now seen it. <laughs> And Chris now sort of has a better idea of like what this film's themes are because I talk about it a lot in my thesis. Fun fact, mm-hmm. I developed this idea around Rashomon and Perfect Blue, but then I couldn't use Perfect Blue, so I used My Neighbor Totoro instead. So basically, Perfect Blue, um, if you didn't listen to our 90s episode, Perfect Blue is about a pop star named uh, Mima who wants to become an actress. And the film is this incredibly uh, uh, sort of, it's a thriller, a uh, psychological thriller that sort of explores uh, her dealing with her own identity in a ways, in ways where Satoshi Kon is able to manipulate the world around her to have her experience things that are different from one another from the people around here, but are just as real to her, you know? So if you've seen my neighbor Totoro, uh, video essay, uh, it's on the channel, go check it out. Uh, you'll know what I'm talking about here. So she, it's just this incredibly eerie film, but it's also poppy. And, you know, it's that nineties anime flair of this, of the city life and everything like that. But there's a really dark underside to this film. And, it just it goes into questions of who you want to be and uh, 
will people judge you for that, you know, and will you judge yourself for that? You know, it's about just like accepting yourself and self-love and, uh, the prejudice of others and stuff like that in a really fascinating way in this really cool mystery thriller. Uh, yeah, Brandon, you've seen it now. What do you think of perfect blue? You know, I, when you associate, um, uh, somebody like Miyazaki with nature, I'm yeah. starting cause now I've seen all of Satoshi Kon's work. I yeah. associate his films more with identity. Every film of his, uh, in a certain way, tackles identity, even the least surrealist of them, which is yeah. uh, Tokyo Godfathers. Right. Um, and with Perfect Blue, I think the most perfect thing about it is that it, it tackles this character's lack of identity because of what they're trying to be and what they're forced to do. It's a very visceral anime, to be honest. And I think a lot of uh, Cone's work is, but this is probably his most intense of all of his films. Yeah. Uh, because of what it tackles and how it does it, it's it is a psychological thriller in the the most literal sense. Um, the character goes through hell mentally because of the stress she's put through by herself, by her agent, by the people around her. Mm-hmm. And some of it may be real, some of it may not be real. But the way it plays with, like you said, the subjectivity of a human being is something that you can kind of like get behind it's so fascinating to watch something like this unfold between before your eyes having the perspective you do as a uh two-dimensional being basically (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right uh chris yes any is any toshi cone's works been on your radar you know i know you haven't seen any of them but i hearing this i have not seen any of satoshi khan's films much to Brandon and ethan's dismay um But I have heard only amazing things about Perfect Blue. I've heard it's an incredibly depressing movie. Um, Uh, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Would you say it's as depressing as Grave of the Fireflies? No. No. I mean, that's like... That that's like that's depressing. depressing. That's depressing on a humanitarian level, you know? Just about like Mm -hmm. how we treat people. This one's just depressing about how you think about how just seeing a person like dive down the darkest mental path, basically, you know, and how that, and like, you get to see it from their how, perspective. Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, like about being a woman and being an actress and stuff like that. And the stuff that she has to do, you know, there's this really intense scene. You bring, you know, what I'm talking at about the, at the, well, the, at the, the club yeah, scene. They're, they're shooting. A yeah. Club I scene know what you're, and, yeah. And it's just, it is just brutal, but yeah, it's yeah. intense. Yeah, and the only other like Satoshi Kon film that I've heard of um, is Paprika. Um, I'm I won't talk about it right now because I <laughs> someone's gonna pick it. But I'll I'll leave that out for now. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yes, I have heard only amazing things about Satoshi Kon's work, um, and especially by Perfect Blue. And yeah, I I still forget why I I I remember I had to leave movie night early one night. I, I think it's because it's just set. Yeah. Yeah, but um, you know how it was. Yeah, it's on. It's on the radar. Hell Here's what yeah. we should do: we should yeah. trap Chris in a box in our house, mm-hmm. and then we should watch all four of Satoshi Kon's movies in one night. I, I feel like I'd go insane. Yeah, I think I think we would start living in a Satoshi Kon film if we did that. Like the walls would start melting and like breaking out. You know, that's things cool. would get fucked. That that would be kind of cool though, actually think about it i wonder would you could you describe like i mean okay i haven't seen this film so i can't really yeah. describe this but like 
would you could you possibly describe like Satoshi Kon's works and like maybe a pro- probably an assortment of other directors as like Japanese like new wave Japanese animated expressionism? Oh, I don't know if that's the right way to describe that. That that's good. No, yeah, because it's like it's he's a filmmaker that focuses on like the medium Themes itself. First. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, themes, but then using the medium itself, seeping into the medium and understanding that at, unlike live action, you are the master of everything that happens in the frame of animation. You control everything. And he is able to take that and sort of link that to how we are the masters of our own brains and how like what we imagine and think about, you know, um, he's able to take that and that process of thinking and put that on screen, you know? And I think that's yeah. very expressionist. That is, a, yeah. What'd you call it? New new wave Japanese expressionism? New wave Japanese animation. Animated, animated expressionism. expressionism. I love it. That's so good. I'll coin, coin, coin that term. How coin that coin. shit right now. How coin? <laughs> oh, look, perfect <laughs> blue. How quaint. <laughs> no, this movie is not quaint. Uh, all right, Brian, you want to talk about Paprika? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's my favorite animated film. Ethan just showed it to me recently um and it immediately uh, like the as the film was going on I'm like I'm kind of digging this and then when it got to the end I'm like is that the favorite my favorite animated movie I've ever watched? Because <laughs> it does things with the medium that you can like literally only do with animation. Like you could say oh but we have CGI now, like obviously this played a big visual uh role in doing in- inception and stuff but like i don't think if you put this in live action it would have the same effect as it has in animation because right. there's a difference between how something looks in live action and how something looks in animation and here it's like bright and colorful and like kind of flexible like a liquid you know the way the world works and it's yeah. like the the way the world like there's a part it's not a spoiler i guess because i'm not going to tell you why or how but the world like tears apart for a second, and that is not something you can well capture in a, um, I don't think in a in a live action film, at, at least because this is like a, a, animation is like an abstract medium at sometimes, uh, mm-hmm. and the reason why I love it is this whole theme of identity and what we're talking about. It's got a high concept about diving into dreams and trying to tackle people's problems subconsciously while also being about insecurities about one's own self, which I kind of relate to on a, on a large level. And as we were watching the movie, I was like, I leaned over to Ethan, I was like, like, it's just so beautiful, like the way it looks and the way the characters are are portrayed on screen. And like there are the, each of the subplots relates to the A plot. And I don't think it has a wasted moment. I really don't. Um, I, I, I love all of Cone's work, but this is like the... The one that I watched that I was like, that's his magnum opus. It was the last one I watched. And I know Ethan and I have honestly, like, I think our rankings of his four films are completely like, different. Yeah. <laughs> and the way we watched them too. Yeah. It does reflect out what? Yeah. This one, uh, it's my least favorite Satoshi Kon film, but that's not saying that I like, I don't like this movie at all. I, I think this movie is fantastic. And like you said, Brandon, just going into like how he uses the animated medium, that's he uses it the most in Paprika, more than any of his films. Like he is just 
he goes all out, which makes it so great that it's his like that it, this was his final feature. You know, it it works as a good piece as a final feature for a filmmaker who died way before his time. You know, um, but it, that's also sort of a negative that I feel like it's it's pretty inaccessible if you haven't seen his other films first. I wouldn't say completely inaccessible, but there are some things that are kind of hard to understand about the world. Like it does take, um, it, I think for someone who's not as, uh, as an active viewer, as we have been trained to be like me and Brandon and Chris through our studies, I think it does take a couple of watches to completely understand like what exactly is going on, how the world works, you know? Um, which is sort of my biggest gripe with the film, which I don't think that's the case for Satoshi Kon's other films. But regardless of that, it's still a fantastic film with such interesting characters and like each character has like an interesting relationship with one another and how and that arc it, arc and relationship and how that is expressed visually through the dreams that they go through, you know, um, it's Chris, I think you would love I think you really like this film because it does. So, you know, I th I was thinking I was just thinking about this, of, like of working on a piece of where. Boots, Ry Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You, I think is the closest we've ever gotten to like a modern live action Satoshi Kon film in sort of the way he does grounded surrealism and like the like a sort of a dreamlike state, you know, like in you know, style in only in style only. Yeah, I'm not I'm not talking about the, like the themes, but you know how like uh, how scenes would sort of like transition and sort of one like motion of a character or some character would say something that'd be somewhere else. I feel like, yeah. I feel like that's very Satoshi Kon inspired. Wouldn't you say Brandon? Like that he does that so much in this film to like a, such a higher degree and a much more abstract to a way. certain extent. I just yeah. think the world morphs because yeah. of it's the world more so than the, like, cause when I, if we're talking about Boots Riley's films, I feel like it's centered upon the character, not upon the world. Yeah. It's like, and it's done through cutting or through, um, like the montage where he's, he's getting rich. Right. Yeah. You know, that is done through like clever set design. You know what I mean? Right. But what's so cool, like you said, there's a difference between the character and the world. I think, I think the worlds of Satoshi Kon's films are the characters it's it's their psyche it's their mental spaces projected on the worlds around them you know and especially like, this movie <laughs> yeah uh chris i also have a feeling once you see this movie like it's gonna be hard going back to uh to uh what's it what's it called inception because like the way this film handles wow. dreams versus that one i don't know but it's what, so what, simple. Inception is so simple in comparison. <laughs> yeah, but what what do you what do yeah, you think about uh, this in terms of what you've heard of it? Yeah, I mean, I've only ever heard amazing things, and like, um, Brandon, I really love the point you had about animation being almost like an inherently abstract medium, um, at least relative to that of live action film, just simply because it is inherently displaced from what just the real world looks like on some level, at least. Animation will always continue to evolve and uh, and especially like we went through a phase, I think like we've talked about this before about how like animation went through a phase of like only gunning for high quality, high res textures and, you know, making yeah. it look real as much as possible, which is like, that's awesome, man. 
But like, I feel like we've gotten to a point with animation where we've gotten so like, sorry, not we, animators have gotten so good at handling like um, lighting, handling texture, handling um, physics and stuff like that, that we are, I feel like as an audience, we've started craving um, more like interesting, like abstract, cool ways to go about like animation without necessarily defaulting back to that kind of crux that is making it look real it's like um, that um the persepolis film we watched in film school or yeah that's a the, good the documentary that documentary that's coming out that's an animated film that we saw the yeah. trailer for oh yeah flea yeah i flea i think like a good example of this is like um for example the the new lion king uh beautiful beautifully animated looks amazing looks real as hell yeah but evidently no didn't work very well no yeah. substance and very little character, very little life in the eyes of the characters because, frankly, they're lions and we don't see it, see emo- emotions through the eyes of a lion. Yeah. Um, but which is why maybe the original Lion King might work better because expressionistic facial features and stuff like that. You know, the, we could have this conversation forever. But I yeah, I did really like that point, Brandon. I think like um, because it is inherently abstract as a medium that would like that almost therefore implies that this film is like this medium is also inherently capable of articulating abstract concepts better than live action ever could. So, I think that like inner, like you look at Nolan's work, right? Interstellar, it's depiction of like the fourth dimension library of, mm-hmm. of love. Um, is like the closest thing, I guess, that you could the, come to like that the idea library pre- of love. depicted I on. That. I mean, that's it's what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. literally a library of love, but it's like <laughs> I love Interstellar, but like, really, bro, like Nolan, like it's the it's the closest <laughs> thing that can come to the abstract that I've seen. Yeah. in like a modern like movie, you know, I mean, you mm-hmm. you could say like surrealism is abstract, but I'm talking like visually distinct. Right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. Alrighty, yeah. Satoshi Kon, please, if any of you out there have not seen a single film of his, go check out his works. It's only four films. It's the, like one of the easiest filmographies to complete because he passed away way too early. Um, yeah, please go check out his films. All right, Chris, take us into your last pick. All right. Uh, all right, well, uh, <laughs> you oh, guys no. literally both called this movie overrated just a second ago. Oh. Uh, I'm not here to change your minds, but I want to share why this movie has grown on me over the oh. years. Okay. It is Ghost in the Shell. That's fine. I, I still want to talk about this film. Yeah, go into it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, just on the basis, Ghost in the Shell is about uh, this character, Motoko Kusanagi, who is like a cyborg black ops agent kind of thing, um, who is in pursuit of an artificially intelligent entity that has developed self-consciousness. Um so basically, like, you know, when I, I still remember, like, when I revisited this film a while ago, um, it was very, very much like a, um, I remember watching and just being like, oh my gosh, like, I, I've seen the standard machine versus humanity battle played out a billion times. Um, and like, the, well, but the thing is, like, that genre, I'm not even all that tired of it. But really what this film did for me is it kind of like twisted that concept a little bit. To the point that I was actually like, oh, wow, this is kind of like, this is a little bit interesting to me. So I think basically what I, what the highlight part of this film, um, spoiler alert, 
um, is that rather than one side triumphing over another, they synthesize into one singularity. Um, and like, the, there's a lot of like philosophical implications that were like surprisingly accessible. I don't think this movie is surprising is like all that deep on its ph philosophy, but um, it still left me kind of contemplating the nature of humanity after the end of this film. Um, there's this great video by Wisecrack dissecting um, dialectics in this film that I would highly recommend. Um, if I'm being frank, I used to have very, very little emotional connection to this film beyond the philosophy because Ethan, especially as you know, I love dissecting existentialist philosophy and metaphysics. Um, but then this is the point where this film's meaning changed a lot for me. I started reading this film through quite a different lens than that kind of cybernetic like lens that I kind of like threw on immediately by default because yeah, it's a movie about artificial intelligence. Of course, that's the first thing I'm going to look at. Mm -hmm. um, but I do want to highlight something about this film that I don't think is talked about enough, which is surprising to me because I think this extra bit of context can fundamentally change the larger meaning of the film. Um, so Ethan, you actually brought this up during your discussion of Akira. So I want you to keep this, keep, keep what you said in mind. Yeah. So the setting of uh, Ghost in the Shell is a version of Tokyo that is modeled after that of Hong Kong. Um, the film is filled with these gorgeously animated shots of this chaotic and multicultural uh, futuristic metropolis um, dominated by this kind of intersection between tradition and modernity. Um, and like in this world, most, most of the, the humans um, are like, how, what's the word? Are like cyborgs, I guess. Like they have like physical cybernetic alterations implants. made. Yeah, yeah. cybernetic implants and stuff like that. Um, and so within this world, our humanity and our consciousness and identity is located within the mind or as the film refers to it as the ghost. Um, but the thing is within this film, you also realize that these, that aspect of our humanity can be hacked and altered as well. So the authenticity of memory identity and our humanity gets called into question about its validity. Um, and similarly, this film was actually released just two years prior to Hong Kong being handed back to China with the variety of guaranteed civil liberties, but I won't get into that right now. Um, but due, like, due to the cultural delineation that had existed for over a century in Hong Kong, it could never fully return to China nor the United Kingdom. It became an entity on, all on its own. Yeah. A synthesis. You see what I'm saying? Oh, my God. Um, and Michelle, like, and I'm gonna do Professor Fury proud right now. Yeah. Michelle Foucault highlights the oh. concept of a <laughs> yeah, get him out of here <laughs> as a uh, uh, this concept of a heterotopia, which is the amalgamation of two distinct concepts to create a singularity within a singular space. Um, <laughs> humankind versus machine to create um, what uh, Matoko. Kusanagi becomes at the end of this film, spoiler alert. Um, it's, yeah. Which similarly can be compared to tradition versus modernity and Hong Kong being the perfect setting for this. Because I think in a way, if, if you view it through this one kind of like hyper-specific lens, which obviously not everyone's going to be able to understand because frankly, Hong Kong is one city in a, a, in a planet with a million cities. So like, you know, there's only so much many people know about this place. But... I think because I was born there and I was raised there and I understand that history and that like kind of thing going on there, 
it gave me a lens that I could read this film through that um, that like is kind of unique in that yeah. way. So um, yeah, and then you know we can talk forever about the whole subjective interpretation theory shit, but like yeah, we don't want to be here for two hours. So <laughs> yeah, that like you know I I don't necessarily think this is the best film ever made. I think it's just like it's I think it's very well made. Yeah. Um, but I think and like you know you could you could even argue that like me reading this film through this lens isn't really a praise on the on behalf of the film itself, but more so on maybe a thought experiment on how I am able to create meaning out of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, just wanted to share this one. I don't necessarily think we're going to pick it, but yeah. Also, Scarlett Johansson remake. Fuck that. Fuck that. Cool. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, oh, yeah. Dude. Great choice. Great, great choice and great fucking analysis. Holy shit. Yeah. I... I feel like I'm going to have a whisper of the heart moment with this movie if I rewatch it where I had a I had a take about whisper of the heart where I thought it was just okay. I watched it a while back and then I rewatched it and I was honestly embarrassed by like my previous thoughts on the film because just like you have expectations about a film going in, you know? When I went into Ghost yeah. in the Shell, I was like, okay, it's going to be like Blade Runner but an anime, you know? And I, I was a huge Blade Runner fan. I was sort of thinking of something like that, you know? And that is not what this movie is at all. And I think that's what overall led me to this disappointment. And with the fact that I had to watch this film for homework for the uh, philosophy through sci-fi class. I didn't take the one with the cool professor. I took one with a different professor. Um, and just, like, having to do the homework with that film. I think that kind of put a sour taste in my mouth, you know? Um but I keep like rewatching clips from this movie and stuff like that, like things that people use in AMVs. And I just like, I want to, I, I got to rewatch it. You know, I watched this film on my laptop, like during work, I think, but now I want to watch it on like big TV and just like be immersed in like, cause the animation is absolutely fantastic. You know, um, it's so detailed. It's one of the most detailed, like the way they like, they draw her muscles, you know, like, especially in the end when she's like tearing herself apart, you know, just yeah. like the animation in that is so insane. And just like the, the fighting choreography in this movie and everything like that. And like, I really want to analyze it now with that lens you just gave it about Hong Kong. And like, now that, cause I did watch this before I took my Japanese film history class. And like now knowing the context of everything, I do want to rewatch it now with this lens of sort of like, uh, post-war Japan and now with like also uh, this and like this theme of Hong Kong identity you know it's it's crazy I uh, this movie was on Mubi and now it's not yeah. and now I don't have Mubi so I think it, and I tried renting it on YouTube but they only have the dub which is stupid because I was going to rewatch it on YouTube but they only have the dub I don't know how to get the sub for it so I might have to find somewhere to rent the sub because I do want to rewatch it again on a big screen. And I think my opinion will change. So I'm going to be completely honest. Even though I just called it, I know I just called it overrated. I was just saying that for the point that I do like Beautiful Dreamer more than Ghost in the Shell. But I am open to have my mind change with this one because I don't know what, I don't know. Brandon, what do you think? I hate this movie. <laughs> you hate this movie? Yeah, I gave it a one and a half. What? Yeah, I. It's lower than Joker. Yeah, it's lower That's than crazy. Joker. 
If it's lower than Joker, Brandon's got some takes. Yeah, must <laughs> be a twisted. Let's movie. hear it, honestly. Yeah, get into it. Um, so when I saw this movie, I remember thinking, "Hey, this is like we're gonna try this anime out." I went in with the same expectations Ethan did about it being a movie about machine being like a machine who thinks who doesn't think they're human but they they're contemplating the idea of like what if like i had the concept of humanity you know because the the isn't the main character it's been a year or two since i've seen it the main character is like she's aware of who what she is correct yeah like at the end or like even from the beginning and from the beginning like, like she yeah, doesn't she's, learn she's that. like she's like a, she's like a human who like has like cybernetic enhancements. It's like her consciousness was placed into this robot body, right? That's like the thing. Right, right. Yeah. Right. And it's like, it does a better job than Blade Runner at some of those themes, in my opinion. Um, However, I just, I, I saw the dub. And this is the worst dub I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, the the dub dub sucks ass. That's why I didn't want to watch it. And it happened with Grave of the Fireflies. And it it that it didn't ruin that movie because I connected to the story at least in that movie. I just thought it's just not my cup of tea. I don't think the animation is the best. I think the animation in Ghost in the Shell is fucking amazing. I think it's some of the best animation I've ever seen. Um, but it, when I saw Ghost in the Shell, I was moved by the themes, but I wasn't moved by the characters. I wasn't moved by the story. I and I can theme. I can I can get behind that. Yeah. I I, I guess I was moved. I wasn't moved by the themes. I was interested in the themes, but I wasn't moved by anything. And it felt very cold and hollow. And I think the only thing that I would say watching the sub wouldn't fix, I don't think I would care for the protagonist at all. Because oh, yeah. I, I remember seeing it and being like, yeah, even the way she's written, if I watched it in a sub format, I don't think I could get behind the way like this person is. And I say in my review for it, like... I think I got to give this up a chance, but yeah. I I still think that I don't, I don't think I'm going to connect to the film like most people do. And I, I think that's okay. It's just like, I, I get, I get the overrated comment a lot. I get it. Yeah. No, I, but it's, I, it's I, a I good choice. Do, I definitely do get what you mean. Cause like, I, like even me, like I, frankly, like I, throughout this entire, that entire film, I never had a moment where I was like concerned about this character. I never was like, heart thumping worried for them or you know like never had that emotional kind of like like you know moment you know where i'm like rooting for this character or anything you know i, I was always kind of like observant and kind of like I, as like a third party removed from the film kind of just observing and watching as like the themes kind of expanded and saw this stuff and that was kind of what made me like it a lot but i do totally get that i'm like i have no emotional connection to this film it's I think very it'll- much like a it's very much a film, at least for me, that's very thematically driven. Um, but yes, I I'm the same boat as you, man. I I could not give less of a fuck what happened to this character. I was I only cared because I was like, let's just see what's interesting. The lack I, of I, stakes I made me emotion. bored. I thought it was bored, mm. and I don't think many films are boring. But well, we talk about boredom in film, so it's true. I have heard that the sequel. Some say the sequel is better. Which I'm interested to check out. So the sequel, ma- goat, goat in the shell, goat, goat in the in shell. The shell. They, it's they goat put her simulator. consciousness in a robot goat this time. It's crazy. Gotta check it out. No, but I, I want to rewatch this one, Brandon. Maybe we should do it. Rewatch it the sub. 
to really finalize our takes on it, you know? It's going to be expensive finding it. Because if it's only on YouTube and it's like, uh, I'll 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 find a way to I'll I'll show. I know you have ways. I might even buy it on Blu-ray if I want to. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, good pick. All right, well, we've made it to the end here, and uh, what a what a better and more fitting way to to end our picks with my pick. Uh, I think I think you two both saw this one coming. Uh. It is not only the greatest anime, not only the greatest animated film, it is the greatest film ever made. Bar fucking none, dude. Better than Ant-Man. It's better than Ant-Man, believe it or not. Uh, It took me six times to watch this movie to fully accept that, that this is better than Ant-Man, and that this is my favorite movie of all time. It is, of course, Neon Genesis Evangelion, the end of Evangelion. Now... You can't really go much into this this film because Chris is in the middle of watching it, and I would I would hate to spoil anything that happens this movie to him because watch just watching what happens in this movie for the first time completely blind, um, was it's it's life changing. It's honestly life changing. It's one of the closest things I've ever had to a religious experience. I hate to sound like a fucking, just a total Dorcas dweeb, like weeb because of this, but like, Evangelion is probably the closest thing I have to a religion where this series is about what is the most, the most fundamental thing of all of humankind is self-love, bar none. Every problem that we have as a species has to do with how we perceive our own self-love and whether we do have it or we don't have it, you know? And that sometimes that will bring fateful destruction and sometimes that will bring beautiful beginnings, you know? And this film is a very sublime and existentialist uh, piece about that where we see these characters who are tortured and struggle with their own self-love basically assigned to defend the planet against these biblical forces of these giant kaiju that they call angels. And it is, this film will beat you down to a pulp. It'll make you, it'll, it'll make you just think of the, it'll put you in the most extreme situations, both physically and mentally and think about the most insane things but in the end it it will make you feel good that like you understand what's important about yourself and that you are the only person that will understand you the true version of you and even though there are multiple thousands of versions that people create of you you have to accept that those versions will never be the one that you see, but the only one that truly matters is the one that you see because once you start to accept that, then there's a possibility that those other versions of you will become more in line with your true self. And then it goes into like just the metaphor of what an Evangelion is and they often ask, what do you pilot your Eva for? And that's just a metaphor of like, why are you alive? You know, why do you keep doing this? 
And basically the argument of you are your own God is basically what the series argues. And whew, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I didn't even get into any like plot specifics, but that's just like, that is just the thing that it hits you with, you know, uh, Brandon, I watched this mm-hmm. for the first time. No, I, I watched you watch it for the first time. Um, you watched me. You didn't watch I, it. You watched. I watched me. it with <laughs> you, but I was mostly just watching you because it's a very it, it is a film that gets physical reactions out of people because of its content. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It was your favorite animated film when we watched it for the first time. That's weird. I've I've seen Brandon de- declare an animated film as his favorite animated film twice because of a film that I showed him. Anyways, just. <laughs> just a little pat myself on the back i guess i don't know but Brent, what do you what do you think about end of evangelion and please don't spoil anything for chris because i won't say anything regarding okay. the plot but there is so i i think when you're talking about eva you can talk about so many different things i love content that is rich in quality and in nature meaning you can't you don't just read it from one direction. And I think one of the best things about anime in general is compared to western animation, western animation is very surface level. It's it maybe there's not a lot of depth to it. It's like the simple emotional story is the best one often in like Pixar films and Sony films. You have that one parental relationship. You know, you always talk about oh Inside Out or like Pixar, any Pixar movie, this is a movie about feelings. What if this thing had feelings? And that's kind of true to a certain extent, you know? Yeah. That is basically what they are. And they're good at doing it. But it is like the same in terms of themes. Whereas like when you get into some of these animes and especially Evangelion, it's like you can interpret it from so many different angles in terms of characters, their emotional arcs, whether it's about uh your mental state uh the emotional state it could be something political you're interpreting it as something religious like you said um there's there's psychological existential things that you could do philosophical concepts that it tackles uh freud kind of (laughs) oh yeah Uh, uh a lot of a lot of that stuff and it feels like you can interpret any one of those ways the show and you're just scratching the surface yeah it's like a scratch and sniff in terms of like what you're reaching and that's what's so good about this the show and then by uh extension the film because the film kind of wraps everything up and the reason why it's so goddamn good it's the payoff for everything it's the avengers endgame <laughs> of eva but times 100 in my opinion <laughs> well i prefer i pr- i think i prefer endgame just slightly more but that's because i have emotional connection to the MCU and the Marvel's and Marvel comic books because I was raised on those. Whereas here I was like introduced to this at like like last year, literally. Like, yeah, but I true. couldn't stop watching. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, in that in that sense, it's a fantastic film. Yeah, Chris, you are you are basically halfway through Evo right now. Like yeah. So what, every we, the thing is like yeah. Every time I hear you guys talk about um neon justice end of evangelion it's always kind of like weird to me because i'm still in the phase of the <laughs> show where it's like no like nothing this crazy. is still a co- this is still a comedy and action like thing and like the like, yeah <laughs> and like i'm still in the point in the show where like misato despite being kind of pedophilish is kind of like a slice um slice 
Like, which I can relate to because I was once a 14-year-old boy. Um, <laughs> and I was once a slice for uh, later. That's older and than I that. was once a 29-year-old slice. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So it, it's always kind of weird to me to, like, hear you guys talk about existentialism and, like, this kind of, like, larger-than-life quality that you get from the, this final movie because it's, like, I'm just I'm just watching mechs fight right now, bro. Like I don't know what you yeah. you guys are talking about. Like, I'm watching like Pacific Rim kind of stuff right now. Like I don't like what's up with you guys in this whole existential. <laughs> yeah, like, but like you know, I I I'm more than certain that this film is going to steadily transition, um, mm. and like it's going it's going to impress the living hell out of me because. Ethan, we always talk about this, but existentialism is my is my religion. It's, it's like basically my shit. religion. So yeah. like, yeah. So like this is I'm more than certain that when the event when when it happens, I am probably gonna go into like a like a three day emotional coma. Yeah, but that's it's kind what of like do. the care. Um, yeah, but here for it, you know. All right, I, man. I got your life. I got a uh, like a little story. Um, so I watched this film, and then I went on the buddy bot set. <laughs> And then, oh, you, <laughs> and then I had to quarantine myself because of a little COVID scare that which I didn't get. But I it locked, wasn't me. It wasn't, it wasn't me. me. It, everyone thought it was me, but it wasn't me. Okay, everyone assumed I was just the guy who drove the guy. Anyways, um, I sort of locked myself in my room for two days, a, a short time after watching this film for the first time, and. There is one song in this movie that happens at a very uh, traumatic moment, I would say, that I put on repeat over and over again. And I think that is the closest to, like, insanity that I have ever come to. Just, like, sheer losing all just touch with reality. And that's what this film will do to you. And I've I've seen it six more times, the five more times since then. And it still gets me just as hard as the first time. I the repetition is meant to make you feel insane, Ethan. The whole yeah. show's about that, too. Yeah. But I never before as a piece of art been able to move me so much, so like frequently when I rewatch it, like Evangelion and End of Evangelion. And that's just like, fuck, it's, it's a Rorschach test of like, it's a moving Rorschach test, you know, just like there's so much that you can take out of this film and out of the series as a whole. And Chris, I'm just, I'm just excited for you to get to the, to the more intense stuff in the show in the latter half. So I, I can't wait to see what happens. And when you watch Inaviva, I will be there at your side. I guarantee it. It's going to happen. All right. Well, wow. What a, what a selection, what a crop. What a crop of anime. What a crop. What a crop. So before we get to uh oh, this is gonna be this is so fucking hard. Before we get to our uh deciding this final stack, let's of course run down our picks again, starting with Brandon. You wanna go with your picks? Yeah, I did Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliotro, uh Silent Voice, and Paprika. Chris. I did Akira, a silent voice as well, and Ghost in the Shell. And my picks were Yurisei Yatsura 2, Beautiful Dreamer, Perfect Blue, and End of Evangelion. All right. God damn I, it. I have a proposal. Okay. What's your proposal? Now, this is, this would be a first for Stacked. Yeah. Brandon, 
I oh, know we double stacked, but, but what? I can imagine Akira, Paprika, and Evangelion being really good together. It They're might just be a too samey. It's too samey. We do, need, we do need a bit more variety because they are they're all similar. genre. They're all genre. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not saying I don't, I love those movies, you know? Akira's my top, in top five. Evangelion's in my top five. Paprika's in my top five. Yeah. But it's like, if you watch all three of them, it's kind of like you're only experiencing one segment of what anime can be. And I think the reason why I chose Silent Voice to begin with is because it's grounded and it feels like it's emotive and mentally giving you something that I think End of Eva also gives you, but uh, it's just more focused on one portion. Mm, I do. I, I I can get I, that. Is true. Like these three movies are very like existential, existential driven, at least as far as I know. Yeah. Um. So like they might. I can imagine like if we if the three of us watch all three of these movies together in one sitting, <laughs> I think we would all just be sitting on a on a on our couch like a potato and just like roasting and like. We we would have to end with paprika though, because that's like the most positive ending. The, the whole, <laughs> the most, and that's not even the most like positive of an ending. Yeah. Um. Okay, so what do what do we axe out of those three? Because those, I think, those are the three that we're debating. You know, two of those have to go with a silent voice, and I'm fine with a silent voice being on there. But I'm saying if if we don't get end of Eva on this stack, I'm gonna fucking lose it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create End of Eva in the real world. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) I honestly, I I am willing to sacrifice Akira because I can imagine using that again. Yeah, I I think we could definitely use that again in terms of like, I don't know, like, what if we did best like best best world building in films? You know, we could do that. We need we need a Cone movie because he's the best anime director outside of. uh, I think he's better than Shinkai personally um so i think he uh like right next to miyazaki just gone too quick yeah so we gotta pick either perfect blue or paprika and then i'm cool with putting end of eva on there um because i think it is like the it's a culmination yes it's a little awkward to watch it by itself but you get some of the themes and if you're gonna put it on a stack it's gonna be this one yeah, I don't, I, like I don't know how you could watch this without knowing you're watching anime. You know, like I think this movie is pretty fucking impossible to watch without the show. I'm gonna be completely honest. Like, no, there's right. there's no fucking way. You have to watch all twenty. You can watch all twenty six, but you have to watch it. Require twenty four. Um. So that's good. That which is good that we're putting on an anime because if like if you're watching anime, you might as well just watch the show. You know, like come on uh it's a i benched it in two days yeah not that bad not a big deal not a big deal all right um (sighs) figuring out an order is gonna be a little weird yeah we haven't picked the cone movie yet though i i know dude i'm just thinking like i'm now thinking of like the potential we could use these films later do you, do we want to blow paprika right now or I don't know what do you think um I guess we could do an animation specific like best looking animation list I, did we already do that we haven't done that yet no no we haven't we haven't done specifically like the art of animation 
Because I don't think Perfect Blue's animation is as good as Paprika's animation. I think they're, like, one's just ahead of the other one. I I think I do find the animation more beautiful in Perfect Blue, but not from, like, a... Like Like a look. Yeah. Look, it's just like the feeling that framing the way the way he draws like the city the city life of Tokyo and stuff like that. You know, it just that perfect just blue feels me. grounded though. What? It feels more. It grounded. feels like it's sh- it it's shot like a live action movie. It is, yeah. But it's um, not. <laughs> so what what do you think, Brandon? I'm 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 okay with either. Know. I don't know. I don't know. That's the thing. Is like they're my two favorite cone movies. Yeah. So. Well, Chris, how about uh, we have Chris pick? <laughs> Chris pick one. You haven't seen pick either. One. You haven't seen either. <laughs> hmm. What has because the thing is, is like I would usually like I would usually let the, this be decided by like whether um because like Paprika and Perfect Blue like are they both like kind of very, they're I assume they're both very surreal movies. Um, I think Paprika's Blue, more surreal. Personally. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's paprika's like surrealness based in technology, you know. Where this one's just like it's pure mental, like the brain, like projecting onto the world. That's because that's the thing. We have Evangelion, which I assume is very very like abstract and quite, yeah. you know, all that. Mm-hmm. And then you have Silent Voice, which is very well, at least relatively speaking, very down to earth. Mm-hmm. So you need to find a middle ground. So we either need to find a middle ground or like comp or like add or like make sure that we're adding one that like perfect blue is com- somewhat ground. complementary. Yeah, I think I perfect know. blue is because it's perfect blue is kind of like the middle ground between the two. So you've got one that is kind of about this, you know, the silent voice is grounded. Yeah. Then you've got perfect blue, which is kind of it's grounded in a sense, but the way that cone plays with subjectivity and it makes it like a surreal film. But then you've got something super out there in terms of Eva, which isn't super out there in terms of its themes, but in terms of its concept. Yeah. Because it's future-based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in that sense, you're kind of like building up to the more intense stuff. You could go in reverse order. I feel like Eva's just a, a very rough finale, though. But there's, there's like... What are you gonna do after you watch that? You can't put on another movie after that, you know. <laughs> you're right. You can't so you're just gonna be sitting there. You're you're gonna have to go take like a hot bath or something after that movie. Like, so what? So here's our stack, right? Yeah. To, Silent Voice, Perfect Blue, End yeah. of Eva, Bath, <laughs> Bath, Bath Time, <laughs> Bath Time, and crying, <laughs> <laughs> and rethinking your entire life. Yeah, I think. I think that's the way to do it. You guys down with that? Mm -hmm. Sure. All right. Well, this is Stack's official non-Ghibli animated, animated, just anime movie list, starting with Chris. You want to start us off with our first pick? Yep. Our first film is a 2016 film directed by Naoko Yamada. Um, It is titled A Silent Voice, a beautiful film about moral redemption empathy and, and emotional growth um a very down-to-earth and very emotionally moving film for the modern age um and especially for modern youths all right brandon our second pick 
Her next film is a Satoshi Kon classic, Perfect Blue, a great film about subjectivity, about what it means to be a star and what it means to be an individual. It's a film about identity and finding yourself. And our last film is, like I said, not just the greatest anime, not just the greatest animated film, the greatest film, in my humble opinion, stack certified masterpiece movie, and Neon Genesis End of Evangelion, the movie that will, it will put you through the worst to make you the best. That's all. That's all I'm gonna say. Watch, watch the anime before you do the stack, then go through these movies and finish off with this. And I honestly think you will be a changed person after. It's crazy. It's crazy what this stuff will do to you. You know, I didn't really get into anime until the first, until quarantine, really. You know, I watched, I watched Jojo and I watched Ghibli films. And that was basically it. But once I was locked in my own room, you know, and had to figure out what to watch, this thing sort of just took me in. And Evo was certainly one of the, the anchors of that. And now that'll do us. Go take a bath. Y'all fucking stink. Anyways, that will do it for this episode of Stack. <laughs> uh, make sure to like this video, watch it, make sure to listen all the way through, and you'll be a good listener if you do. Uh, and subscribe, uh, rate us on iTunes, and everything, all the such and such. Uh, yeah. How should we? How should we fucking end this thing? How should we end this shitty ass? Fucking- Nani? Nani? Yeah.